One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And welcome to Spooktober, our Halloween or spooky related episodes for the month of October. Um, We have a pretty fantastical one today that is kind of a tech marvel in what it did and what it borrowed from. And honestly redeemed a bit of the franchise, especially in the gaming sphere. Yeah, of course, today we're talking about Alien Isolation, which if you've seen the classic horror movie Alien, I think that you would have been pretty satisfied with this game. I think that's absolutely it. You know, I I think with Alien and Aliens um, being such fan favorites, being such successful movies, and then the following Alien 3 not doing as well, and Prometheus, and, 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 and therefore not, uh, I think, capturing that same charm and that same quality of the first two, this gives fans that you know awesome look back and brings that nostalgic kind of like horror where it's like you versus everything. There's not much you can do about it. It definitely brings that to heart. Right, and this is sort of the era of gaming, I think, where we start to see... Like, people are becoming aware there's a nostalgia market, basically, more or less. And so they're doing what they can to not only continue these franchises on, and this goes beyond even just Alien, just in gaming in general, but not only just carry these franchises on, but to also throw back to these older games and older movies and things like that. So I think Alien Isolation is a really great example of that. Absolutely. So. Let's get to it. Alien Isolation is a 2014 survival horror video game developed by Creative Assembly and published by Sega, originally for Microsoft Windows, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One. Based on the Alien science fiction horror film series, the game is set 15 years after the events of the original 1979 film Alien and follows engineer Amanda Ripley, daughter of Alien protagonist Ellen Ripley, as she investigates the disappearance of her mother. Unlike previous game adaptations of the Alien franchise, Alien Isolation places an emphasis on stealth and survival horror gameplay, requiring the player to avoid and outsmart a single alien creature with tools such as a motion tracker and flamethrower. It was designed to resemble the original film rather than its more action-oriented 1986 sequel, Aliens, and features a similar lo-fi 1970s vision of what the future would look like. The game runs on an engine built from scratch to accommodate technical aspects such as atmospheric and lighting effects, 
and the alien's behavior. Creative Assembly intended to make Alien Isolation a third-person game, but used first-person to create a more intense experience. Alien Isolation was positively reviewed by critics, and it sold over 2 million copies by May 2015. Praise was given towards the game's retro-futuristic art direction, sound design, and the alien's AI, while its characters and length received some criticism. The game appeared in multiple best-of lists and won several year-end awards, including Best Audio at the 2015 Game Developers' Choice Awards and Audio Achievement at the 11th British Academy Games Awards. It was ported by Feral Interactive to Linux and OS X in 2015 and to Nintendo Switch in 2019. The game was also added to the Amazon Luna service on October 14th, 2021. So Amazon had the same idea as us, just make this a spooky spooktober, just uh, maybe a year before us. We're a little late to the game. Yeah, but they, uh, they know what they wanted. They're, they're very great, positively reviewed Luna service that everyone uses. Yeah, exactly. And Amazon, they probably have a time machine. They knew Finish the Fight was going to do this in 2022. So they went ahead, did it a year earlier. Just maybe not as good. Yeah, but just to give us that one extra sentence I can throw in there. (laughs) That's the reason they did it. (laughs) So let's talk about the studio that did this. Creative Assembly was founded in 1987 by Tim Ansel. Ansel had begun professional computer programming in 1985, working on video game titles for the Amstrad CPC, Commodore 64, and Atari 800. Initially, Ansel kept the company small so he could personally work on computer programming. The company's early work, often produced personally by Ansel, involved porting games from the Amiga platform to DOS, such as the 1989 titles Jeff Crammon's Stunt Car Racer, and Shadow of the Beast by Cygnosis. Creative Assembly began work with EA in 1993, producing titles under the EA Sports label, starting with the DOS version of the early FIFA games. With EA Sports, Creative Assembly was able to produce low-development-risk products bearing official league endorsements. The company's products included Rugby World Cup titles for 1995 and 2001, and the game for the 1999 Cricket World Cup, and the Australian Football League games for 1998 and 1999, of which the AFL 98 title was particularly successful in the Australian market. When it became clear that the company needed to expand further, Ansel employed Michael Simpson in 1996 as creative director. Simpson, a microchip designer turned video game designer, later became the driving force for the creative design of the Total War series. Ansel left Creative Assembly after Sega acquired the developer in 2005, and later on, Tim Heaton took over as studio director. As a result of their success in sports titles, by 1999, Creative Assembly had sufficient resources and backing from EA to develop more high-risk titles in other genres. The result was Shogun Total War, the company's breakthrough title. A blend of real-time tactics and turn-based gameplay Shogun Total War was announced in early 1999. The game focused on the Sengoku period of Japanese feudal history, and upon its release in June 2000, it was met with critical acclaim. The game won multiple industry awards and became regarded as one of the benchmark strategy video games. In-house composer Jeff Van Dyke won both a BAFTA and an Emma Award for his work on the game's soundtrack. 
In May 2001, Creative Assembly announced the Mongol Invasion, an expansion pack focusing on the earlier Mongol invasions of Japan. Soon after, Creative Assembly broke away from EA, instead using Activision as a publisher and distributor. In August 2001, Creative Assembly announced a second Total War, set in the Middle Ages. Medieval Total War was of a larger scope than Shogun, spanning a larger time period in the entirety of medieval Europe. Released in August 2002, the game was a greater success than Shogun, becoming the best-selling video game in the UK for the first two weeks and the fourth best-selling game in the US market in its first week. As with Shogun, Medieval won multiple industry awards and was named the top game of 2002 by PC Gamer. Creative Assembly was awarded the PC Game Developer of the Year Award at the 2003 European Computer Trade Show. Viking Invasion, an expansion pack focusing on the Viking invasion of Britain in the Dark Ages, was released in May 2003. A third Total War title was announced in January of 03, entitled Rome Total War, which is, I think, the first one I played. And the game featured a new game engine compared to the previous two titles and was redesigned to approach the series. Set during the rise of the Roman Empire, the game's code was used for two television shows, the BBC's Time Commanders and the History Channel's Decisive Battles. Upon release in September 2004, the game was given praise, becoming one of the year's top 10 best-selling titles. Despite speculation that Activision might buy Creative Assembly, as the publisher had done with previous successful developers under its wing, the Japanese company Sega announced on March 9, 2005, that they had sealed an acquisition deal with Creative Assembly, purchasing all issued shares in the company. Sega explained that the acquisition was to strengthen Sega Europe's presence in the European and North American video game markets. All preceding titles in the Total War series had been exclusively computer games. By July 2005, Sega had acquired the publishing rights to Rome Total War from Activision and built on the brand strategy by releasing two expansion packs, Barbarian Invasion in September 2005 and Alexander in September 2006. Spartan Total Warrior was released in October of 2005 on Xbox, PS2, and GameCube. Medieval Total War, the fourth title in the franchise, was announced in January of 2006. It was a remake of the earlier Medieval Total War using the new assets and technology behind Rome Total War. The game was released in November 2006, and although not as successful as Rome Total War, Medieval 2 Total War was still a critical and commercial hit, holding a place in the UK games charts in November 2006, and in the U.S. charts until the end of January 2007. At the games convention in August 2007, Creative Assembly announced new titles. The first, Viking, Battle for Asgard, was a console-exclusive title, similar in style to Spartan Total Warrior, but focusing on Norse mythology. The game was released in March 2008, and it received an average reception from critics in the industry. The second title was a fifth Total War installment, Empire. Total War, set in the early modern period of the 18th century and early 19th century. As was the case with Rome, Empire features a redesigned approach to the series and a new game engine. It was released in March 2009, receiving high praise, selling double the number of units sold on Medieval 2 and Rome. 
However, numerous significant issues were pointed out by critics after the release. Though there were numerous patches, not all of these were addressed by the abandonment of support for the game, which caused many to question Sega's influence on Creative Assembly. In June 2008, Creative Assembly announced Stormrise. Unlike previous historically-based games, Stormrise is a science fiction real-time strategy game developed for both consoles and PC released in 2009. Stormrise received negative and mediocre responses, with criticisms focusing on broken pathfinding and the game's flawed control scheme. In January 2009, Creative Assembly was joined by Tim Heaton, as we had said, who served as this company's studio director. The Australian branch of the Creative Assembly ported the first three Sonic the Hedgehog games and the Sonic and Knuckles lock-on games to Sonic Classic Collection. This compilation received overall positive reviews from Aussie Nintendo, an official Nintendo magazine, but criticized some speed issues when playing, rarely speeding up or slowing down, and some graphical and sound glitches. Reviewers also criticized the removal of multiplayer in the games, previously available in earlier versions. In 2010, the company released Napoleon Total War to generally favorable reviews that praised the tightly scripted elements of a smaller, more focused campaign than its globe-spanning predecessor, Empire Total War. The company released Total War Shogun 2 in 2011 to universal acclaim. The title is the first to make the brand Total War the main title in an effort to increase brand awareness. On December 6, 2012, a partnership between Games Workshop and Creative Assembly was announced. Also announced was the creation of a new Warhammer Fantasy Battle game. On April 5, 2013, it was announced that Sega Studios Australia, formerly known as the Creative Assembly Australia, would be shut down later in the year. On September 3, 2013, Creative Assembly released Total War Rome 2. The game uses an updated Warscape engine and suffered from technical issues shortly after release, which eventually led to Creative Assembly's creative director, Mike Simpson, apologizing publicly for the widespread technical issues. In the 10 months following release, Creative Assembly released 14 patches for the game, solving most technical issues and balancing gameplay. So, kind of what started as a small company brand, basically formed their whole identity around the Total War series, uh, which is a very interesting one. It, it took a new look at kind of real-time battle tactics. And it definitely had its ups with Rome and various other titles coming out later, especially expanding the Total War series. Plenty of downfalls. And obviously didn't do too well on their titles that branched out away from their bread and butter. Um, and then now, as we wrap up 2013 into 2014, Creative Assembly has taken on the role of developing Alien Isolation, taking another stab into the sci-fi realm and a whole different take on what they've been doing with their games. So let's break down what did they do that's different from their, their older titles that just tanked. And what did it take to do that? So the idea of developing a game based on the Alien film series from 20th Century Fox was conceived when the company finished work on their 2008 title, Viking, Battle for Asgard, 
after publisher Sega acquired the rights to develop Alien games in December of 2006. A six-person team developed the first prototype to pitch the idea, wherein one player would control the alien manually, while another would conceal themselves in an environment and try to hide from the creature. The game captured the attention of Sega, and the project was eventually approved. Because Creative Assembly had no experience with survival horror games, the company hired people from studios such as Bizarre Creation, BlackRock, Crytek, Ubisoft, and Real-Time Worlds for the project. According to director Alastair Hope, the development team grew from, quote, a couple of guys crammed in with the Total War team to a group of 100 people by 2014. Creative Assembly decided to design the game more in line with Ridley Scott's 1979 film Alien as opposed to James Cameron's more action-oriented 1986 sequel Aliens. To help the designers authentically recreate the atmosphere of the film, Fox provided them with three terabytes of original production material, including costume photography, concept art, set design, behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and the film's original sound effect recordings. Artist John McKellen recalled, quote, It was a proper goldmine. We saw angles of things we'd never seen before. During the first stage development, the developers deconstructed the film to find out what made its setting unique. This would allow them to build new environments that were faithful to it. Similarly, the film's original soundtrack was deconstructed so that composers could identify the main cues, which would then be used as templates to extend the soundtrack and fill in the length of the game. The developers also met Alien and Blade Runner editor Terry Rawlings, who would give them additional insight. And that's such a huge thing. I mean, three Mm -hmm. terabytes of all this extra additional information. I know it was a little bit more data back then than it is now, but still, I mean, if someone gave me a three terabyte hard drive filled with all this stuff, that would be a lot of things to go through. That is a lot of very, very valuable source material. And you can see it in this game's final version. It's 100% that. For for actually being able to like pull the audio from like its original recording and original mixing and be able to pull that apart as well as the set and set designs, all the BTS that no one's probably ever seen. Like we've probably seen a little bit of it, but for them to get the exclusivity of three terabytes of all of this stuff compiled together is insane and really unheard of. I mean, we've had movie tie-in games, TV show tie-in games, but they've always kind of been like, a four or a five out of 10 of just a cash grab with like the skin slapped onto some like cheap game. But for like a production company to be like, Hey, here's the Holy grail of everything we've ever done. That's ever been related to this piece of media. Here you go. And to actually take that and be like, listen, this is insane that we were given this. Let's take advantage of it. And for them to have that complete of a record, from a movie from 1979. I mean, that's amazing in itself. Obviously, someone cared enough about all of this production going on behind the scenes that they were like, this is revolutionary. We need to document as much of this as possible. I mean, you and I were talking a little bit about this uh, before we started recording the podcast that Alien as a movie still holds up really well. Yeah. And you could see from top to bottom that there was a lot of 
care and thought that went into not only creating all of these effects and behind the scenes uh, things going into the film, but also recording those processes. And I mean, trying to create an archive maybe to be used in later films in the franchise or just in the movie industry as a whole. And I mean, for something like that to happen in 1979 before really video games are truly in the realm of thought, you know, for it to have this unintended other effect on a different industry entirely, I think is really fascinating. I think that's exactly it. I wish we had, and I think that's one of my favorite things and the reasons really why this podcast was started was just seeing the the behind the scenes stuff. What went on to create these things and for like a games company just to be like handed on every silver platter that's ever been created is all this three terabytes of data of just like, just right in front of you to be like, yeah, use it. I, I think it's fantastic. And, and, and I, I love and miss that, you know, companies like Bungie would do huge behind the scenes project videos of like the silly stuff they would do as well as the serious things they would do. You know, not only just the culture, but like, yeah, we had to like rewrite this thing 10 times to make, you know, an arm move. Like it's like the, the trials and tribulations that go behind these things. It, is so worthy in, in that sense of it. And you would always want people to document the things that they do. But when you're in the middle of that project, maybe you're a startup like Bungie or whatever, you aren't necessarily thinking like, oh, I better make sure that I record like as much of the early days of this company just in case one day we make it big and this mm-hmm. is like a lot of valuable information. You're just thinking like day to day. Hey, how do I make a successful business? Yeah. And so it's so rare to get those behind the scenes looks unless people are just really passionate about what they're doing and and doing what they can to have fun but also be successful. Absolutely. And so rather than go for a shiny high-tech science fiction look, the designers opted to recreate the setting and feel of the original Alien film using the work of concept artists Ron Cobb and Mobius. As a result, the game features a lo-fi 1970s vision of what the future would look like. For example, the game features clunky machinery like phone receivers, monochrome displays, and distorted CRT monitors. To create period-authentic distortion on in-game monitors, the developers recorded their in-game animations onto VHS and Betamax video recorders, then film those sequences playing on an old, curvy, portable TV while adjusting the tracking settings. As digital hacking was not conceived in the 1970s, the game's hacking device was built the way it would have been built on the set of the movie and requires players to tune into a computer's signal while selecting icons on its screen. Artist John McKellen noted, We had this rule. If a prop couldn't have been made in 79 with the things that they had around, then we wouldn't make it either. Creative Assembly wanted Alien Isolation to have a story that was closely related to the film. As a result, the team decided to explore a story set 15 years after the events of the film, which would involve Ellen Ripley's daughter and the Nostromo's flight recorder. Writer Will Porter explained that the process of creating a backstory for Amanda was refreshing, as he felt that she was an overlooked character of the alien universe. 
Actress Sigourney Weaver agreed to reprise her role as Ellen Ripley to voice small sections throughout the game because she felt that the story was interesting and true to the film. Along with Weaver, the original Alien cast, which includes Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, and Yafit Kodo, reprised their roles for the game's separate downloadable content missions, marking the first time they were brought back together since the release of the film. All the characters were created with 3D face scans. A major story rewrite happened around a year before the game's release, and leftovers from it were discovered in a console build of the game. Alien Isolation runs on a proprietary engine that was built from scratch by Creative Assembly. Possibly used in Battle for Asgard, the engine was adapted to accommodate technical aspects like the game's atmospheric and lighting effects, as well as the alien's behavioral design. The engine's deferred rendering allowed artists to place hundreds of dynamic lights in a scene and achieve great geometric detail. A major tool chain update occurred six months into development. Although the new tools eventually improved workflow, they initially caused major disruptions because previous work had to be discarded or ported into the new tools, taking valuable development time away from the team. The alien itself was designed to look similar to H.R. Geiger's original design for the creature from the film, including the skull underneath its semi-transparent head. However, the designers did alter its humanoid legs with recurved ones to provide the alien a walk cycle that would hold up to scrutiny during longer encounters with the player. Between 70 and 80 different sets of animation for the alien were created. The alien's artificial intelligence was programmed with a complex set of behavioral designs, that slowly unlock as it encounters the player, creating the illusion that the alien learns from each interaction and appropriately adjusts its hunting strategy. As gameplay designer Gary Knapper explains, quote, we needed something that would be different every time you played it. You're going to die a lot, which means a lot of restarting. And if the alien was scripted, you'd see the same behavior. That makes the alien more predictable and a lot less scary. The save system was inspired by a scene in the film where Captain Dallas uses a key card to access Nostromo's computer, Mother. The developers originally planned to add a feature that would allow players to craft weapons, but the idea was ultimately discarded. According to Hope, quote, We thought about what people would want to do in order to survive. We explored different ideas and one of them was fashioning weapons to defend yourself. That was quite early on, but then we realized that this game isn't really about pulling the trigger. Another canceled feature was the alien's iconic acid blood as a game mechanic, which could melt through metal like in the film. Although the feature was reportedly implemented at one point, it was eventually removed from the game because the developers felt it would change the course of the game in a weird direction. Although the game is played from a first-person perspective, it was developed for a considerable amount of time in third-person view. The perspective was ultimately changed after the team realized that first-person changed the gameplay experience significantly. Hope explained that, in third-person view, Alien Isolation would have become a game about jockeying the camera and looking after your avatar. But in first-person, it's you that's being hunted. If you're hiding behind an object and you want to get a better view of your surroundings, 
you have to move. The development of the game took four years after Creative Assembly first pitched the idea to Sega. Alien Isolation was released to manufacturers on September 9th, 2014, and it is dedicated to Simon Franco, a programmer of the game who died during its development. And that switch from third person to first person, I think, is so key to this game. And I think that it was really good of them to recognize this. Mm-hmm. Because it does, uh, you know, you could play a game like Dead Space in the third person perspective, and it is still scary, and there's still moments like that. Sure. But there's something about those first person experiences, those forced first person experiences, where it's hard to escape, you know, the feeling of fear. That's the main thing that I do see with that is that, like you said, in third person, and Dead Space is a scary game. But you can, as he said, jockey the camera. You can turn it to kind of look around a corner to make sure that there's nothing there. You can kind of use that to your advantage as you run away to like look behind you. But with this, it is you doing it. And now puts you into that character. Like you're the one looking out from under the bed. You're the one that has to creep around the corner to see if anything's there versus just giving a slight tilt to the camera and be like, okay, the alien's there. I'm gonna go this way. It definitely brings an immersion into it. And I think Alien really needs that. It's it's one creature hunting. And 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 you almost form this relationship with that creature because you know it. You see it at times. You're like, oh no, this is terrifying. This is too much. Whereas, like you said, third person, I think it still would have been scary, still would have been terrifying, not in the same way. Yeah, and there's a lot of, I mean, horror games that you play in the first person perspective that I I think make those games scarier, like Amnesia or like mm-hmm. Slender Man. I mean, are those games as scary? Uh Five Nights at Freddy's. Are those games as scary if you can see the protagonist? I don't think so. I think that having those things pop up on your screen um and kind of give you the the little shock of seeing them is a very visceral, real feeling mm-hmm. absolutely alien isolation was first unveiled on may 12th 2011 when uk government minister ed vasey visited creative assembly and revealed on his twitter account that the studio was hiring for an alien game although no gameplay details were confirmed sega confirmed to cvg that the game would be released for consoles but did not specify any format Sega boss Mike Hayes also said that the game was going to be very much a triple-A project. We want this to be a peer to the likes of Dead Space 2. Although the game's name was anticipated following a trademark registration in October 2013, and some screenshots of the game were leaked in December 2013, Alien Isolation was formally announced and confirmed for the Microsoft Windows, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One platforms with the release of a teaser trailer on January 7, 2014. The fact that Sega's previous Alien game, Aliens, Colonial Marines, received a negative public reaction did not affect Creative Assembly. According to Napper, the vocal reaction from the Alien fanbase assured the team that they were building a game with what the fanbase wanted. In June of 2014, Alien Isolation was presented at E3, where journalists had a chance to play a demonstration of the game. The game was also playable on the Oculus Rift virtual reality headset that was shown at the show. Daniel Rindu, 
of Polygon described the demo as one of the most effectively terrifying slices of a game I've ever played in my life. The game was awarded Best VR Game and was nominated for Game of the Show, Best Xbox One Game, Best PS4 Game, Best PC Game, and Best Action Game at the IGN's Best of E3 2014 Awards. Similarly, at the 2014 Game Critics Awards, the game was nominated for Best of Show, Best Console Game, and Best Action Adventure Game. In August 2014, a cinematic trailer for the game was shown at Gamescom. Alien Isolation was released on October 7, 2014, and according to Sega, the game had sold more than 1 million copies worldwide as of January of that next year. As of March 2015, Alien Isolation had sold over 2.1 million copies in Europe and the US. The game was ported by Feral Interactive to Linux and OS X in late 2015 and to Nintendo Switch on December 5, 2019. So... It's very interesting that, you know, we talk about game leaks and other stuff that happens within studios for the game to be prematurely talked about by just like a government official being like, hey, I went to Creative Assembly and it looks like they're uh, hiring some people for this alien game if you guys want a job. And it's like, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're making an alien game. Yeah, way to just kind of like kick us between the legs. Yeah. And then start the scramble of like, oh, okay, it's, it's out now. So... On the one hand, the hype starts, you know, for an official to go to the actual studio and be like, hey, I'm loving what I'm seeing. They're hiring for this thing. So that's kind of where it starts. And then Sega, you know, has to put the fires out and be like, yes, we are doing this. Yes, it's a thing. No, we don't have anything for you. Details will come. So it's an interesting start to marketing that's kind of unknown. Definitely a unique start to marketing and especially right now with all the stuff going on with like GTA six, mm-hmm. it's like, man, that's kind of a, that's kind of a bummer that they weren't the ones to get to announce that, that they were putting yeah. all this hard work in. And you know, that first impression is just so key and to have it be sort of taken away from you and taken out of your hands. I'm sure that that was discouraging for a lot of the people who had spent many hours making this game. So I'm glad that ultimately people talked about it and got excited mm-hmm. about it or maybe were like, oh, great, another bad alien game. And then they were yeah. able to prove them wrong. Yeah, I, I think, you know, at least starts a fire going and, you know, it's nice to have a publisher that can put out the fires for you within Sega Craves. Like, uh, it's Sega, sorry about that. Anyway, you you fix that. Uh, we're going <laughs> to just keep building the game. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, so 
we've talked a bit about in the development cycle of it, of just how the engine's different and how this is different than their other games and why they did this from the ground floor up. So let's talk about the gameplay aspect of Alien Isolation and what makes this game just really so different. Alien Isolation is a single-player action-adventure game with emphasis on stealth and survival horror features. The player controls Amanda Ripley from a first-person's perspective and must explore a space station and complete objectives while avoiding, outsmarting, and defeating enemies. Objectives range from activating computers to collecting certain items or reaching a specific area in the game. The player can run, climb ladders, sneak into vents, crouch behind objects to break line of sight with enemies, and peek over or lean around to gain view. The player also has the ability to go under tables or inside lockers to hide from enemies. Now, Amanda encounters several antagonists over the course of the game, including hostile humans and androids. These can be defeated with gunplay or other offensive means. The main antagonist, an alien creature, pursues the player throughout the game. The alien creature cannot be defeated, requiring the player to use stealth tactics in order to survive. Instead of following a predetermined path, the alien has the ability to actively investigate disturbances and hunt the player by sight or sound. Along the way, the player can use both a flashlight and a motion tracker to detect the alien's movements. However, using any of these increases the chance of the alien finding the player. For example, if the alien is moving and close enough, the tracker's sound will actually attract the alien, forcing the player to use the tracker wisely and remove it as soon as it detects motion. The motion tracker cannot detect enemies when they are not moving and cannot determine if the alien creature is up in the ducts or at ground level. Although Amanda gains access to a revolver, a shotgun, a bolt gun, a flamethrower, and a stun baton over the course of the game, Alien Isolation emphasizes evasion over direct combat by providing limited ammunition. The player can also craft items by collecting schematics and different materials. Items include EMP, noisemakers, Molotov cocktails, and pipe bombs. These can help the player deal with enemies. For example, the noisemaker can be used to attract enemies in a particular direction. The alien is afraid of fire, so using flame weapons forces it to retreat into the station's ventilation system. The player has a limited amount of health, which decreases when attacked by enemies. Health is restored with medkits, which can be crafted with materials in Amanda's inventory. The space station is divided into sections connected by trams and elevators. Some doors require certain actions before entry is allowed. For example, some require a keycard or entry codes, while others need to be hacked or to be cut with welding torches. Computer terminals and rewiring stations can be used to access information. Trigger actions such as disabling security cameras or manipulating the space station's air purifier. Computer terminals and rewiring stations can be used to access informations, trigger actions such as disabling security cameras, or manipulating the space station's air purification mechanism. An auto-map helps the player navigate the different areas of the game. To save game progress, the player needs to locate a terminal in the game and insert Amanda's access card. If Amanda dies, the player will have to restart from the last save point. In addition to the campaign mode, Alien Isolation features a special mode called Survivor Mode, 
in which the player must complete objectives within a time limit on different challenge maps while avoiding an alien creature. So it's, again, one of those really cool survival horrors that does give you some offense, but use it very sparingly and makes it so you don't feel like you're leaning on that like a crutch. Like, ooh, I got a shotgun. We're definitely going to be good. Oh, I have two shots. Yeah. What am I going to use this on? And the fact that the alien can't be killed is such Mm -hmm. a big factor as well. So, yeah, you can get it to retreat for a while, but you have to consider everything that, yeah, I am going to have to use this, but I have to defend myself against humans and androids too. Where is it going to come into play more? This should be the last resort. Exactly. It's it's, it's really cool. So, gameplay's fun. I want to talk about the story because, at least for me, in the first two aliens, alien and aliens, the story plays such a small but also heavy role in terms of costume designing, the actual written story that goes along with it, how the actors portray it. So I want to talk about really how this holds up and what the story is for this. In 2137, 15 years after the events of the original Alien film, Amanda Ripley, daughter of Ellen Ripley, learns that the flight recorder of her mother's ship, the Nostromo, has been located. The flight recorder was retrieved by salvage ship Anesidora and is being held aboard Svestopol, a Siegsun Corporation space station orbiting gas giant KG-348. Christopher Samuels, a Weyland yutani android, offers Ripley a place on the retrieval team so that she can have closure regarding the fate of her missing mother. Ripley, Samuels, and Weyland-Yutani executive Nina Taylor travel to Svetstapool via the Torrens, a courier ship, finding that the station is damaged and external communications are offline. They attempt to spacewalk into Svetstapool, but their EVA line is severed by debris, separating Ripley from the others. While exploring the station, Ripley finds the flight recorder of the Nostromo, but the data has been corrupted. She also discovers that the station is out of control due to a single, deadly alien creature lurking aboard. After regrouping with Samuels and Taylor, Ripley meets the station's Marshal Waits and his deputy, Ricardo. Waits explains that the alien was brought onto the station by Anesiodora Captain Henry Marlowe. After recovering the Nostromo's flight recorder while salvaging its remains in space, the crew was able to backtrack the Nostromo's path to LV-426 and locate the derelict ship, containing within a nest of alien eggs. Marlowe's wife was attacked by a facehugger and was then brought aboard Svetsovpool for emergency medical treatment, but died after a chestburster hatched from her. Waits convinces Ripley to contain the alien inside a remote module of the station and then eject it into space. Although Ripley is successful, Waits ejects the module with her still inside. Careening into KG-348, Ripley space jumps back to Svetsopool using a spacesuit. Ripley makes her way back to confront Waits, but Ricardo reveals that the station's service androids abruptly started slaughtering the remaining crew, including Waits. Samuels attempts to interface with the station's AI, Apollo, to cease the rampage. However, the system's defensive countermeasures kill him shortly after he opens a path for Ripley into Apollo's control core. There, Ripley discovers that Siegson had been trying to sell off Svestapool to Weyland-Yutani, 
who instructed Apollo to protect the alien at all costs. Ripley tells Apollo that the creature is no longer aboard the station and demands to cease all activity, but the system refuses, stating that the scheduled reactor scans are unverified. At the reactor, Ripley discovers a nest with hundreds of aliens and initiates a reactor purge to destroy it. Ripley learns that Taylor was secretly sent to retrieve the alien from Festipool and that she freed Marlowe in exchange for the location of LV-426. However, Marlowe double-crossed her and took her hostage aboard the Anisadora. There, Ripley finally discovers the Nostromo's flight recorder containing Ellen Ripley's monologue from the end of Alien. Meanwhile, Marlowe attempts to overload the fusion reactor of the Anisadora to destroy Sevastopol and ensure that no alien creatures survive. Taylor kills him in an attempt to stop him, but she herself is killed by electric discharge, forcing Ripley to escape shortly before the Anisadora explodes. The explosion destroys Sevastopol's orbital stabilizers, causing the station to slowly drift into KG-348's atmosphere. Ripley and Ricardo contact the Torrens for extraction, but a facehugger latches onto Ricardo, forcing Ripley to leave him. After making her way outside to help the Torrens detach from the station, Ripley is surrounded by alien creatures and ultimately thrown into the ship by a blast. Aboard the Torrens, Ripley discovers that another alien has boarded the ship. When Ripley is cornered in the airlock, she ejects herself and the alien into space. Adrift in her spacesuit, Ripley is awakened by a searchlight. So, uh, a really cool take on the idea of Alien, almost replaying a bit of the same movie. And we do see that in a lot of the, the Alien franchises, very much kind of like, hey, corporate money is sponsoring this. Yes, aliens are bad, except if you're corporate and we want them. So it's it's always an interesting take with it, and we almost see a very similar ending in a way to like her almost an homage to her mom, mm-hmm. and it's definitely setting it up for possibly like alien isolation too, or aliens isolation mm-hmm. um, with her like still being alive as a searchlight is approaching her. So still keeps it open ended, but in my opinion, I know people have different takes on the story. I found it interesting. I really enjoyed it, um, but teach their own. I think it's kind of a pretty standard sci-fi story, mm-hmm. but it works for this game because you're not trying to reinvent the alien wheel. You want to pay no. the homage, and you know what's interesting about this game. I don't think is the story as much as that unique fear-based gameplay style. Absolutely, you know what the alien is. You know what it's about. And so you don't need to make any kind of crazy new story for the aliens. You just need to have the alien be there and be scary. And it does that. It absolutely does that. And, and, and like you said, story-wise, pretty cut and dry. But I think it's what a lot of people want from Alien. They want a story that follows that formula. And whereas Alien 3 and the, the future releases kind of broke that yeah. and kind of broke this charm that these first ones have. And people just were like, nah, not that great. Then you bring this in, which follows that formula. Um, and does really well with it. And they capitalized on that through the DLC support they added to it. And Alien Isolation supports additional in-game content in the form of DLC packs. The first two packs, Crew Expendable, 
and Last Survivor were made available at the time of the game's release. Crew Expendable, which was included in the game's Nostromo edition, relives a scene from Alien and involves the player controlling Ripley, Dallas, or Parker attempting to flush an alien creature from the Nostromo's air vents into the ship's airlock. Last Survivor, which was originally made available to players who pre-ordered the game at certain retailers, is set during the film's finale and involves the player controlling Ripley as she tries to activate the Nostromo's self-destruct sequence and reach the escape shuttle. Between October 2014 and March 2015, five additional DLC packs were released for the game, expanding the game's survivor mode with new features. A season pass to these five survivor mode packs could be purchased before they were released. The first pack, Corporate Lockdown, was released on October 28, 2014, and includes three new challenge maps where the player must complete certain objectives. The second pack, Trauma, was released on December 2nd, 2014, and includes a new character for use in three additional challenge maps. The third pack, Safe Haven, was released on January 13th, 2015, and introduces a new character in a new gameplay mode where the player must complete a series of missions under a time limit. The fourth, Lost Contact, which was released on February 10th, 2015, is similar to Safe Haven, but offers different characters and settings. And the last pack, The Trigger, was released on March 3rd, 2015, and includes three additional challenge maps and a new playable character. And a collection of all of this in the base game was made available for Linux, OS X, PS4, and Xbox One in late 2015, with all this kind of compiled together. It's almost like, not an anniversary edition, but like a compiling edition. And although Sega said that sales of isolation were weak, Creative Assembly originally considered the possibility of developing a sequel. Later, it was revealed that most of the Alien Isolation design team no longer worked at Creative Assembly and that the company was working on a first-person tactical shooter based on a new IP. In 2016, a pinball video game adaptation, Aliens vs. Pinball, was released for the Zen Pinball 2 and Pinball FX2 video games developed by Zen Studios. Two comic book sequels, Aliens Resistance and Aliens Rescue, and a novelization by Keith DeCandido, were released in 2019. A spin-off sequel developed by D3Go, Alien Blackout, was released for mobile devices on January 24, 2019, while a web television series adaptation, Alien Isolation, the digital series, was released on IGN on February 28th of 2019. So, a couple, quote-unquote, sequels. <laughs> not, not what people want, but yeah. tried to add more to that mythos and more to that Alien franchise. Really, really honestly, just capitalizing on it, on this, this comeback of Alien back into the gaming sphere. Yeah, and it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a direct sequel to Alien Isolation for those things to exist. You know, the, like, yeah, they tie in directly into Alien Isolation, but if they wanted to not do anything regarding this game in particular and just make more Alien franchise-type stuff, they could do that just as easily. So I think, you know, they release that stuff, but what people would really want is just an actual video game sequel, especially you know, when you leave a video game open-ended like they did. A hundred percent. Now, let's get to the spooky aspect of the game, 
no horror game, movie, piece of media is complete without a good soundtrack. I mean, imagine Halloween with just like some beautiful bongos. Some smooth jazz. <laughs> some smooth jazz and bongos playing throughout it. Like, you, you just can't. <laughs> oh, you, God. <laughs> Mike, is that smooth jazz? Michael Myers is nearby. <laughs> Oh, you just got he walks in with a saxophone of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, luckily, we don't have that. But let's talk about the music and sound design of Alien: Isolation and what it brought to it. So, Jeff Van Dyke was the audio director of Alien: Isolation, and as we had said, his credits at the Creative Assembly also includes several of the Total War games, and he's won a BAFTA for his work on Shogun. And he chose the project because he was a fan of the original movie. Now, quote, the alien just seemed so unstoppable and massive, he says. Not necessarily physically massive, his character. You rarely saw him, and when you did see him, someone died. To help make a game that was as close to the first movie as possible, 20th Century Fox gave the Creative Assembly team access to the original sound effects, taken from 8-track and dumped to a single Pro Tools session of the entire film. The audio quality wasn't high enough to simply copy sounds across, but it gave them a base to faithfully rebuild using modern technology. A sound that did make the transition was one of the first things you hear as the camera pans across the stars. I used it as the main menu music, says Van Dyke, what we dubbed the space whale. It's the weird bending woo sound right at the very beginning. He wanted to let players know from the start they were in for a genuine alien experience. It's so authentic, it's actually got a piece of the movie in it. To me, it sounds fantastic. And then we did a surround mix with it. Rather than it being echoey, we have it spinning around all the speakers. Among the games that Alien Isolation drew on for inspiration, Van Dyke singles out visceral sci-fi horror game Dead Space which itself drew heavily from the Alien movies. In Dead Space, they used these things called fear emitters, and they were basically just a point that they would put in various parts of the level. And if you walked near that point, the music would crossfade into tension, and if you moved away, it would be less. Not only were they fixed points in the world, but they would attach that emitter to monsters, especially significant ones. And when they got closer to you, the music would amp up. The xenomorph in Alien Isolation has a similar intensifying effect, but as well as making the music change more of those quivering violin tremolos, its approach makes the ambient noises subside. Sevestopol's creaking and sparking and shuddering all recede when the alien's near, making you even more aware of protagonist Amanda Ripley's breathing and the clatter of items you bump or devices you turn on. And that kind of reminds me of... There's a lot of people who believe, like, if you're out in the woods and all of a sudden, you know, it just gets really quiet, that it's mm -hmm. because there's a predator around. There's a, whether it be a bear or it be like a mountain lion or, or something like that. There's danger, basically. Sure. And so this sort of emulates that. And it's a common thing in a lot of movies as well. And I find it really interesting. It, it is. And, and to actually be able to apply that to the game and use that kind of fear emitter idea of attaching it to a creature. And we see it kind of spoofed in some games, especially like RPGs, when you get close to a creature, it's like da 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 da. And then you back away, it's like 
like slowly fades. You can kind of like mess with it in a way, like you get closer and further away. That's kind of the comical use of that. Yeah. Whereas in this, like, yeah, like hearing yourself breathing harder and like being able to actually hear that. And then you bump into a tool or turn on something, it amplifies it. Um, not only that, it's just your adrenaline going too of like, oh no, everything's stopped. My adrenaline's pumping. All these sounds are sounding bigger and just heavier. And again, this game does so well in the sound design as well as the negative space it leaves in that sound design where there isn't much going on. It is quiet, which amplifies everything around it. Absolutely. And I think that players, if they haven't already been trained by just general media, this is a pretty common, I think, use of audio. But this game, then, you you can start to associate that silence with the alien being nearby. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a, a important self-referential part of the video game experience when you're doing that. So that's really cool. And it's it's good that they did it in the way that they did, because there are those video games out there where it's like, okay, this particular piece of audio is just associated and uh, so like jarring with an enemy being nearby. Um, and I'm going to throw out a really random example, but like Lego Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, all the, the music pops on when you start fighting someone, and then you can literally just walk away, and then the music just stops. You know, yes, there exactly. are obviously less cartoony games that do stuff like that, but it does create a very jarring shift that I think it's important for this gradual decline that they implemented for Alien Isolation to really have it be impactful and continue to be scary. 100%. So Van Dyke goes on to say, not every sound can be as evocative as the space whale. There need to be ordinary noises as well, the ones that ground you, that give you a believable physicality to the character that you're playing. Ripley has sneakers that squeak, a backpack full of tools and scrap that jangles when she turns, and jumpsuit pants that sometimes schwiff like George Costanza's when she walks. You could buy libraries of stuff like that, explains Van Dyke. And we went through a bunch of the libraries because that's obviously the easier way to go about it, but we couldn't find anything that really matched, and we thought, well, you know, AAA title, may as well go for it. We had some budget left over, and we went for the proper Foley. So instead of going and buying a bunch of those pants or finding Jason Alexander, they decided, (laughs) and following him around, they decided, hey we should maybe look through some some libraries. Someone's probably already done this. Compared to a lot of the other episodes we've done, you know, people, he, I'm surprised he didn't just go out to the zoo, find a guy with some slick pants, something <laughs> like that, with a microphone and tape recorder. Yeah, just, just follow him around. Just, just a, just just the audio engineers nice... love doing weird stuff, usually. Well, that they do. And, and, and to explain it, like, traditional movie folly is the art. As Derek said, physically creating sounds that feel right rather than necessarily being similar to what's on screen. So George Cassini's pants, it's not actually what she's wearing, but it would be the similarity of swooshiness to it. And use various other things like for like a breaking neck is usually like stalks of celery or lettuce. Um, A lot of human things are usually vegetables, which are delicious and work for movies. (laughs) And during the infamous shower scene in Psycho, you're hearing Alfred Hitchcock plunge a knife into a watermelon. And for Alien Isolation, Pinewood Studios were hired to create an archive of sounds 
that would suit Ripley's trek across Svetsapool, from the sterile plastic of its medical bay to the muck of an alien nest. They did this mainly by stamping on different surfaces, including soil covered in assorted squishy vegetables. It's amazing how much stuff they can do, says Van Dyke, and you've got to imagine all this expensive equipment in this room full of dirt and broken wood and sawdust and stuff. Getting the right noises for the xenomorph was all about manipulating digital samples. Its footsteps were a trickier proposition than Ripley's. Quote, initially, it just didn't sound right. It sounded like a big robot or something like that. Real thuddy and mechanical almost. He's got claws, and we've got to get a sense of the claw, but we want him to feel formidable and heavy so that he's big and weighs a ton. We needed to get some sub-frequencies in there so that when he walked around, you still felt the floor shake a little bit. In James Cameron's Aliens, recordings of baboon shrieks tweaked in post were used for the xenomorphs. In Alien Isolation, a variety of animals were sampled to get the right sounds, then put through a talk box, a musical effects unit that takes sounds musicians make with their mouths and translates that into instruments. It's the effect guitarists use to make it sound as if their electric guitar is talking or singing. And quote, we were taking animal yells and then putting it through that and getting some really interesting results, says Van Dyke. Then the guys mixed in some of the alien sounds in the sounds of doors opening, which freaks the hell out of you. It's not all over the place, but there's a few spots where there's a bit of that and it adds to the freakiness of stepping into a new room. You think the alien's in there because you kind of hear it. Yeah, the talk box is a very interesting thing. Um, the person that's probably the most famous for using it is Peter Frampton, I would mm-hmm. say. But it's just this long tube that you put in your mouth and it's connected to this box. And then you've got your instrument or whatever going through and you're playing notes on there and then saying things. And sometimes it could be like this muddier sound um, that sort of results from it. and it's it's a really interesting concept that they did. I mean, obviously, they wanted to create something that was otherworldly. You could tell if it was just a person. So taking, you know, animal yells and then putting them through something like that and sort of distorting them, I think is a really smart decision mm-hmm. and, and a really interesting thing. You know, this is a, a great example, I think, of a sound design team doing things out of the box but using them and doing them in a a purposeful way. Yeah. You know, this isn't guys trying to just get an elephant to make a noise at the zoo and then throw it in there. This is like a a very coordinated, planned out audio division that is using something that it's not just hidden in the background, fun thing for the, the audio team. It's something that's actually palpable and recognizable. And I think that's when you have your best sound design. And, and I, it is taking those cues from cinema. I mean, it, they're actually using a Folly team that works in cinema to create this. Like you said, it's, it's not just, hey, let's go get a pug snorting and then turn it and it's a grunt. Now we're like actually playing with it and being like, hey, we're going to make it feel as if you're there in the most straightforward ways that we know that make it sound good. We're going to experiment. But at the same time, we're going to make sure those experiments go towards a specific reasoning and a specific fear nodule we're trying to hit or a specific walk pace or gait that 
makes it a, a cinematic piece. It makes you feel like you're there. It doesn't make you feel like, oh, they're just stepping on lettuce and celery and tomatoes. No, you're walking through this crunchy, squishy part of the alien nest. And in your mind, you're now, okay, that's the sound of an alien nest. That's exactly what that sounds like. Right. And it's good because it's not like it's subliminal, but it's not mm-hmm. like so hidden that you're not actually getting any of it. And I think that that's the important distinction between when you can just do that really great audio and um, in film and video games versus guys that are just kind of like, oh, I have an animal in my game. I should go and just try and get some random animal sounds because why not? Absolutely. So sometimes you think you've heard the alien because you really have. The sounds of the creature crawling overhead were initially placed at random, triggering unpredictably to startle the player, but Van Dyke says the effect wasn't quite right. And that changed when development reached a point where the coders and animators made it possible to realistically track the alien's position even when unseen. Quote, when the alien was up in the vents and stuff, he actually is up there. He's not being rendered. When he's off screen, he becomes just a wireframe skeleton, but he is actually moving around and moving to semi-logical places because he's looking for ways to find you. There's a cool mode you can get into using the development environment. You can turn off all the walls, see through all the walls, and you can see the alien running around doing his thing. When you move over here, if you bump into something, you can see him hear you and start coming over to you. Then, of course, in the final game, because you obviously have all the walls, you can't see him. All the sound he makes sounds correct and in the correct location because he actually is acting like he's supposed to be up in the rafters. And that's another huge part. And what, again, separates this game from other survival horror games or other ideas like that where the game just says, okay, at location X and Y coordinates, you're hearing it around you. You don't know where it is, but once you get there, it pops up. No, this is actually like an AI running around very much like some of the zombies in like Left 4 Dead, which spawn and hide and track you out. They're still built in there. They're not just like blipping away and then blipping back. Like they can still be tracked with that. And for this to actually do that and have this AI tracking as it goes and then, you know, kick on those modes where it starts to know more about you and it's learning basically makes this so much different than those other games. And like we said, if you die and you come back, it's going to be a similar thing you have to do. But depending on what you do and what the alien's thinking in a way, it's a totally different sequence. Yeah. And it makes it fun and replayable in that sense mm-hmm. because you don't want it to be predictable. You don't want to always know, well, yeah, this is the part where the alien comes out on the right side. So if I hang out over here, I'll be good. I'll be fine. You don't want to make it a game of memorization. You want to make it a game of reactivity. You want to have mm-hmm. to, you know, force the character to peek around the corner and you know, actually play in that stealthy mode. And you can only do that through randomness. Yeah. And and making those, you know, little errors of stepping on stuff or pushing stuff and affecting the personality and the outcome of the alien. And yeah. I, I think that's done so well because most people who are scared of horror games will survive it from failing. You failed twice. You know that an outlast, that the creepy dude with the apron's going to come around and do this thing. So you know to expect that, and you know the sequencing of events. 
So you know how to like alleviate some of that fear by having a map in your head of like, okay, if I do A, B, C in this order, I can avoid most of that because I've died so many times doing this will be good. With this, not so much. Critical reception for Alien Isolation was generally favorable, according to Metacritic. Josh Harmon of Electronic Gaming Monthly felt that Alien Isolation succeeds as a genuine effort to capture the spirit of the film franchise in playable form rather than a lazy attempt to use it as an easy backdrop for a cash-in with an ill-fitting genre. Writing for GameSpot, Kevin Van Ord praised the tense and frightening gameplay, stating that, when all mechanics are working as intended, Alien Invasion is dread distilled into its purest, simplest form. However, he criticized the trial and error progression and frustrating distances between save points. Jeff Marchiafava of Game Informer stated similar pros, but criticized the story and poor acting from the voice actors. The visuals and atmosphere were praised. Polygon editor Arthur Gies felt that Alien Isolation is a beautiful game, full of deep shadows and mystery around every corner. While Dan Whitehead of Eurogamer praised the lighting and unusually compelling environment design. IGN's Ryan McCaffrey gave high marks to the retro-futuristic art direction and sound design, writing, From wisps of smoke that billow out of air vents to clouds of white mist that obscure your vision when you rewire an area's life support systems in order to aid your stealthy objectives, isolation certainly looks and sounds like a part of the alien universe. Similarly, PC Gamer said that the art design sets alien isolation apart from the likes of System Shock or Dead Space and creates a convincing science fiction world with machines and environments that are functional and utilitarian rather than overtly futuristic. Uh, the characters, however, uh, were criticized. Game Informer stated that Amanda exhibits little growth or personality other than concern for her fellow humans and a desire not to die gruesomely while Blake Peterson of Game Revolution noted that none of the characters are fully developed. According to him, quote, we never spend enough time with them to build the emotional bond necessary for their inevitable deaths to mean anything. Game trailers said that most of the computer terminals contain unoriginal logs to describe predictable events, but also remarked that reading reports from different computer terminals grounds Svetsopoul in an appreciable way. Writing for Games Radar, David Houghton praised the alien's advanced AI, stating that progress becomes a case of if and how, not when. Movement is measured in inches and feet rather than meters, and simply remaining alive becomes more exhilarating than any objective achieved. Peterson praised the gameplay as tense, scary, and effective, writing that Alien Isolation is a solid, incredibly striking example of the survival horror genre, that uses its first-person perspective to greatly personalize the horror. PC Gamer credited the crafting system for creating a lot of unexpected depth, allowing players to outsmart enemies in multiple ways. The survivor mode was praised by Chris Carter of Destructoid, who felt it offered players different feelings and experiences each time they played it. And although the gameplay was praised by several reviewers, some found isolation unnecessarily long repetitive and unforgiving. In a mixed review, McCaffrey felt that it did not offer many options of survival, requiring players to spend most of their time hiding in lockers, staring at the motion tracker. Polygon criticized the overexposure to the alien creature, turning alien isolation into an irritating experience. 
As Geese explained, every time I thought I heard the monster, every blip of my motion tracker was a cause for a tightness in my chest at first. By the 300th time, I dived under a table or into a locker. I wasn't scared anymore. I was annoyed. Despite the criticism, Alien Isolation was considered brave by IGN due to its difficult gameplay, a feature that is uncommon in games with large development costs. And I know everyone has their own kind of criticisms either way with it. And I, I can get it. If you've died so many times, it's more of just like, okay, cool. Anyway, I just want to, I just want to continue on with the story. Like this kind of sucks, but I guess how else do you do it? How else do you have a game where you're meant to die? It's an alien. It is like the most formidable creature that humanity's ever run into with such a prey instinct that can use vents. How do you do it besides like having baby mode after 10, like 10 deaths? Like, okay, sorry, the alien won't kill you for a while. Like, I guess you can, but it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to combat. Exactly. And you don't, you don't want to reward players for basically not playing the game the way that it's designed because yeah. it just, all the work that you put into making the game like a very, very important stealth oriented game just goes out mm-hmm. the window. Cause then at that point, if I learn, okay, after I die 10 times, I could just run out 10 times in a row and then the alien's not going to be there. And exactly. I can speed run the whole game. So, yeah, it's probably frustrating. And maybe that just means that this isn't the kind of game for that player. And I think that that's okay. You know, or it just kind of means maybe you just need a break. Because playing in like a this kind of environment for a super long time, as tempting as it is to like get into a deep gaming session and just run through this game as far as you can, like... Mm-hmm. You start to make little mistakes in stealth games like that. You start to get a little overconfident or less patient. Oh, absolutely. And that's not how this game was designed. So for guys that are doing their reviews and they're trying to get through this game as fast as they can, it probably was frustrating for them. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. I, I, I think everyone has their opinion, like you said, on that, especially this is a game where like, you got to take a break. Got to get that heart rate down kind of forget some stuff, get back to it and enjoy it versus trying to speed run through it, which the speed runs I have watched are very interesting in the way that they exploit stuff is actually really cool. But as far as like a regular normal day-to-day player, yeah. Enjoy the time, break this, you know, break the, the realness of it and jump into that suspense. Have fun. It's a game. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. And Derek, we're beginning to wrap this, this bad boy up. As always, let the people know, why do we choose this game? What do you think of it? Well, welcome to Spooktober. Finish the fight edition. I mean, mm. what a fun <laughs> what a fun game to start out with. Um, yeah. This game is pretty scary. Uh games like this terrify me in first person viewpoints definitely terrify me as well. Sometimes they, they almost make me a little bit sick because I'm sure. I'm old. Um, so this game in particular, though, I think it does a really good job at setting out what it set out to do. It wanted to pay homage to the original Alien film, and I think it does that really well. And if you're a fan of the series, I think that you're probably a fan of this game if you played it. I have to agree with some of the character type criticisms. I think that that stuff is valid. But again, that's not necessarily like what the Alien franchise has ever really been about. It was about cool sci-fi stuff. It was about cool visual effects. 
especially for the original. So I think that they did all that stuff really well. I, th- I think that the design of the entire spaceship is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's familiar, but it's not like so over the top futuristic that you're like, okay, well, this is just a totally different world. So stuff is cool and recognizable. Um, for me, I think this game's like a seven out of 10. It's, it's fun. And it's a game that I think that if you're really big into the alien universe, you'd be able to play this through a few times and still have like different experiences. But at the same time, like you have to be in the right mood to play a game like this, I think. And while that replayability is there, I mean, maybe in Spooktober, you break this bad boy out again, like we did. But other than that, once you've played it, I think maybe a a sequel with, you know, some storyline improvements would be more interesting than playing this game over and over again yeah i would definitely agree with that beat of basically like it's a great game to bust out during spooky time um like 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 most survival horror single player games like you're probably going to play that around halloween time coming up getting kind of cozy they're fun to revisit because i mean i think i've played through amnesia a couple times outlast several times and outlast still gets me it's still such a scary game same thing with Alien Isolation, like having an idea that you're going to get attacked by Alien, but not really ever knowing and then dealing with the other stuff that's on the ship it is done so well um, that it's it's a fantastic nod into the survival horror series, taking some beats from Dead Space, which took some beats from Alien. So they're just recycling each other. It's done so well. So if I had to give it a review, I would give it... Um, the nutritional value of the android milk that shoots out of them when they quote unquote die. Um, mm, pour that over Gross. Um, a couple like alien eggs that are first starting to come out. Mm, a little, little cereal action going on there. Gross. Um, and then finish it off with like a face hugger spoon to scoop that up and uh, just wait for the end as that chest bursts open out of 10. Gross. <laughs> Just perfect, perfect rating. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. Our intro and outro music was written, recorded, and given to us by our friend Evan Barr. And our artwork was given to us by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people, and so are those beautiful people that support us over on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Um, if you want to support us and want to support what we do, that is one of the best places to do it. Uh, we have plenty of cool extra rewards for you as well as physical and digital rewards, bonus stuff in our discord, a D and D continuing adventure that we have as well as our Minecraft server and plenty of other things. So please consider helping us out, checking it out and having a beautiful day. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. As Alex said, we're also on Discord. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, talking games, talking alien, talking sports, talking just to talk. Talking just to talk. And Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, having a good time. We would love to see you. And check us out this October, playing a little, little spooktober action over on Twitch. You can check me out at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. Or Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we like to hear from you.
And that has been our coverage of Creative Assembly's Alien Isolation. Have you guys played it? Are you a fan of the series? Would you like to see more? And if you would, in this universe or a different one, let us know on our socials and Discord. And as always, I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.